I firmly believe that 70 to 80% of the answers to any developer marketing strategy are already there in the stakeholder interviews and what people within your organization know and what your customers and your developers and your partners know. I think 70 to 80% of the answers are right there. And all you need to do is do the work of uncovering and organizing that information. That's the hard part. And that takes a lot of work. Welcome to the DevRelex podcast, the podcast brought to you from the DevRelex community and slash data. This podcast is devoted to developer marketing relations and advocacy. I'm Stathis Yorgakopoulos and I'm your host. In each episode, we welcome a guest from the developer marketing world to talk about best practices, lessons learned, how-tos, data, and share insights and experiences to help you boost your DevRel game and win developers' hearts. You can find more people like you and resources, developer ecosystem data, news, jobs, and a bi-weekly digest at devrelx.com. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the DevRelX podcast. Today we have a special episode for you where we'll talk about developer marketing and the industry landscape featuring two guests, Gary Gonzalez, who is the managing director of Catchy, and our very own Mosula Kramvusanu, who is the CEO of Slash Data. Gary and Mosula, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having us. I'm happy to have you. Let's get to know you a bit. So as a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? And what has been your journey like from what this child wanted all the way uh, to your current role today? Gary, I'll start with you. All right. Well, thank you again for having me on here. It's great to be here. And this is good, starting with, starting with a nice warm-up question. So I'll try and give everyone here the short version of the story, at least. When I was really young, when I was a child, actually, the first thing I remember wanting to be was a paleontologist. I was very easily impacted by media and I saw Jurassic Park and I thought that was like the coolest thing in the world as a lot of young people did. So paleontologist was the first one. But as I got a little bit older when I was in high school here in the States, my interests really started shifting to art and creativity. I had a lot of friends that were musicians or photographers or artists and I had a very creative friend group. So so I had this big interest in art, but I, and I almost went to film school actually. But I grew up, I'm a, a first-generation immigrant to the States. I was born in Ecuador, and, and I actually ended up getting a really good scholarship offer to go to a school in Utah that didn't have a film program. So I followed the money. I went to school in Utah, and there I ended up double majoring in communication and business. The communication side of it was really to focus on that creativity, graphic design, writing, all of that. And then the business side really came from my dad, who was an entrepreneur in the biotech space. And so he had done a lot of entrepreneurships here in the in the US, had kind of done the American dream thing. And it was very important to him that I got a business education, which was something that he didn't have the opportunity to do. So I did both of those. And by the time I graduated, I read this book called Hey Whipple, Squeeze This by Luke Sullivan, which is this old school Madison Ave ad agency guy. And that when I read that, I was just like, wait, oh my God, this is this is what I want to do. This is so cool. This is the exact combination of creativity and business that I've been looking for. And I honestly never looked back after that. I read that book, went straight from graduating college into my first advertising agency, loved it, went back to school at Northwestern University for my master's degree in integrated marketing. And ever since then have just been in agencies and consulting firms. So my real opportunity with tech and developer marketing came, I grew up in Seattle. And after I graduated from grad school, I moved back to Seattle and cut my teeth at a few agencies in this town, working very naturally with clients like Microsoft and Amazon and Google. And I really enjoyed 
what what a lot of people at those agencies called the the harder work, right? The the B2B work, the developer marketing work, anything around ecosystems or partners. And, and typically what happens when you have a full service advertising agency is you have a lot of clients, right? You have an account that does beer commercials. You have an account that works on running shoes for Nike. And then you have these really difficult B2B almost consulting tech accounts. And most people at ad agencies try to avoid those accounts. Um, but I really love those. I was like, I love this challenge. I love being able to dig in, work, understand how a platform or an ecosystem or a product works and be able to build marketing products and systems around that. And so that is a, a space that I really found my career growing in and haven't looked back since then. I promised you the short version of the story and that ended up being at least medium length, but there <laughs> we are. It's definitely a lot shorter than, the, you know, the history from the Jurassic era till today. But no, I think it was pretty straightforward. I think we, we've never had someone who really wanted to be a paleontologist in the past. And I'll, I'll use the word funny in quotes, but it's funny how you, you know, started from a place where you're looking back and you ended up in a place where you're actually moving the industry forward through this role. So it's been a great journey. Moshula. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually go for a shorter story because I don't think mine is as interesting as Gary's. So actually, we have something in common because well, I wasn't born in Greece. My parents were born in Greece and they immigrated to the U.S. And I, my siblings and I were born in the U.S. So we were the second generation and also grew up in a family business. So <laughs> my parents had a restaurant, a diner in Hammond, Indiana. And so I grew up there watching them. And so there was always this, this sort of move to the business world. But before I got there, I wanted to be a doctor, then a college professor, then a lobbyist. And I spent some time in Brussels in that space and then decided I wanted to leave Brussels and go back to business. So I ended up going back to the business space, which is kind of what I've also had in the back of my mind, no matter what career I was looking at. So growing up in that family business, like I was there day to day, you know, looking at what my parents did well, what they could have done better and just really watching how to run a business. So everywhere I kind of, anywhere I went, I kind of always act like it's my business in a way, but in the good way, in the way that I care about all aspects of whatever I'm doing, but all aspects of the full business without necessarily it being my job. So in the end, I guess it worked out because that's what I do now at Slash Data. So I've been at Slash Data for was it five plus years now, and I'm really happy where I am. So uh, all roads led to this. And so in that end, yeah, that was that was what I wanted to do. And I got pretty, pretty close to it now. Yeah, it's the entrepreneurial spirit, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. So, you know, both of you are like you were saying that you're interested in business and business. You mentioned this word like a couple of times, but let's see it from the client's point of view now. So what are the most common business problems your clients are trying to solve? Gary? Ooh, asking, the, asking the big questions right off the bat. Yeah, yeah. This was just a warm-up. The person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but let me think about this. So I think there's there's three types of clients that we typically work with. If we kind of zoom out to look at that, that get to the common thread between all of them for what type of problems they're trying to solve. It's, it's an interesting split. So for us, we are catchy is we have a hybrid model. We have a hybrid consulting and agency model. So half the work we do is business consulting, strategy, audience insights, research. 
And then the other half is bringing that to life in more of a traditional advertising agency. So content, design, branding, video, all of that sort of stuff. So these three types of clients that we work with are a bit different. One is what I would call traditional big tech companies. These are your Microsofts, your Amazons, your Googles. And they typically come to us with a very specific ask, right? They they get developer marketing. A lot of them helped write the book on developer marketing. So when they come to us, it's something very specific. Hey, we want to do a heroes program. Hey, we need to find some influencers. Hey, we need a landing uh, page or a portal, or we need to update our brand. Those are great. Those are specific asks with big brands that we love working with. But the other two are fairly interesting. So the second is what I call innovation companies. And these are companies that are more in the startup space or have this brand new idea. So a lot of VR, metaverse, blockchain. And these companies are trying to build their entire ecosystem. And that's a really fun one for us because we get to look at their their entire offering, their entire go-to-market and work with them for how to build that for some really cool, innovative new product. And the third group is perhaps the most interesting to me. And this is what I call legacy companies. And this the this is a new one for us that I'd say has really taken hold in the past three to four years. But Jeff Lawson, uh, who's the author of Ask Your Developer, the Twilio guy, which is a book I highly recommend anyone read if you're in the tech space, especially developer marketing. But he has this philosophy that every company, whether you were born in tech or not, is becoming a tech company because technology drives the way we do business now. And we're seeing that. We have these legacy companies, in air quotes, that are companies in like telco or in industrial manufacturing that are all of a sudden becoming technology companies and they're opening up their ecosystems to developers. And these companies are so fascinating for us because we get to help work with them to modernize and open up their ecosystems. It's been a really interesting new challenge for us to take some of these learnings from these traditional big tech companies and apply them to companies that never thought they would be in technology. But the silver thread between all three of those, right? You have these three different segments that all have these different problems or these different asks for us. But the very simplest silver thread of what they do is they all want to understand what makes them unique and how to tell that story to the right audience, to the right people and the right developers to move them and get some sort of action going. And so that is. Again, the long and short of what we do, and I think the business problems that most of our clients are trying to solve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And uh, I like how you point out this later part, latter part, I mean, about legacy companies that whether they like it or not, or plan to, they're moving to technology. And yes, the Jeff Lawson's book is uh, definitely a must read. And it's all in all of our bookcases in this company. Moshula, what about our clients? <laughs> yeah, great. So Slash Data, as you know, is a developer research firm. We do a lot of work and we're really focused on understanding developers. And our core focus and our purpose in the world is to help companies understand developers. Our core business is usually around sort of bigger tech companies, as well as now there's a lot of new companies that are super interested in understanding who developers are and what they're doing and where they're going. So there's a big wave that has come in in the last year or two. But when we're supporting these companies, we're really focused on helping them understand their developer, their developer audience, which we could call them developer customers, but they're really developers they're serving in any way. And then also their non-developer customers, so those that they don't reach, they don't have in their communities, and they're not engaging yet. And so that's one core part of it is just understanding who they are, where they are, what tools they're using, things like population sizing. A lot of our, or a lot of the organizations we work with are really trying to size 
their markets as well and understanding how many developers are relevant to a specific product. Tool usage, important platform and service, the satisfaction as well. So how satisfied are developers with what I offer versus any set of my competitors, right? So we're really focused in understanding the developer space, but then a lot of uh, a lot of our of the organizations we work with and people that we partner in the research needs are also looking at segmentation, creating their personas. This is a question people are going back to, even though it's it's something that might be super common in other areas of marketing. You know, it takes a lot of information to understand your audience and who you're engaging and not engaging. So creating those that those personas are really important for a lot of orgs and, and they come to us for that kind of work, as well as understanding, you know, how to market, how to engage my developers, but also, you know, what is the best, what is the bang for my buck as well? So if I'm going to invest in developers, what should I be focusing on? What are the most important aspects of my program or my marketing strategy? So th- these are the kinds of questions we're answering for for organizations. And we do that in different ways, whether it's running, helping them run their own surveys or helping them do uh, run surveys with our community and understand who they are. Or, you know, and, and there could be different types of work and we can talk about that. But mainly these are the questions we're trying to help solve for them. Yeah, great. And I love how you mentioned, you know, companies are trying to understand their audience and, you know, the personas and segmentation because... Uh, from my marketing background, you know, this is the, always the first step. Yeah. And cues me nicely to to the question I, I wanted to ask is, assume you need to build a developer marketing strategy from scratch. Where do you start? Hmm. Yeah, I'm going to ask, let's lean into Gary first. I'm super interested in where, what Gary will um, tell us here. So, Gary? Yeah, happy to happy to jump in on this. And and the answer ties back almost almost too nicely to slash data and everything you do. But for for any marketing strategy and especially developer marketing, the first step for us is is by talking to people. Talk to stakeholders, talk to developers, talk to partners. And developers very notoriously hard to reach audience. And it's a very diverse audience, right? Developer or builder is such a blanket term, but you have so many sub-segments within that of different types of developers, of different specialties, of different languages that people work in, different goals and objectives. And that's uh, a very hard data set to get, much different than if, again, you're working on consumer products and you're looking at people who buy running shoes or people who buy beer. It's very different. And that's why Slash Data, I think, has such a very interesting role in the market because you do have the ability to generate those insights. But my my background as a strategist and a researcher before I went into agency management, and I always tell people, like, I think I am an average marketer as far as creativity goes. I think I'm a five out of 10 as far as that. But what I do really like is talking to people. And I'm, genu- I'm genuinely curious about the things like, no matter what you do, whether it is research for you know, a beer campaign or for building a brand new open source platform. Like I want to know about the things that fire you up. If you're a developer, I want to know what gets you out of bed in the morning and tell me about those cool projects that you're working on, that cool language that you're learning or this new piece of tech that you're really interested in integrating into your stack. Like that's what fires me up. And what I've found through this is that I I firmly believe that 70 to 80% of the answers to any developer marketing strategy are already there in the stakeholder interviews, in what people within your organization know, in what your customers and your developers and your partners know, I think 70 to 80% of the answers are right there. And all you need to do is do the work of uncovering 
and mm-hmm. organizing that information. That's the hard part. And that takes a lot of work. But marketing is an easy field to fake, right? And especially as I keep coming back to this example of like athletic or beer companies, it's easy to fake because we are generally all the consumer. Most of us have bought a pair of running shoes in our life. Most of us, if you drink, have bought alcohol at a store before. But you can't do that in developer marketing because you can't go in and fake understanding the mindset of a JavaScript developer who's going in and uncovering a new tool set that they want to integrate for a multi-million dollar decision that they have to do with a bunch of partners. And that's why talking to these developers is so important. That, that sounds like my pitch for Slash Data. I know I'm here to talk about energy, but that feels like a pitch for everything that you do. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for the shout out. That was not done on purpose. We'd never agreed to that before in this conversation. So any one thing, sorry, Stephanie, I'm just going to (laughs) go. Yeah, no, no, it's your turn either way. The the interesting thing, you know, from speaking to developers, if we if we offered any direction and something that we, we very openly say, it's from our research, but we very openly say that if you if you have to start, if you have nothing, the only thing you should have is documentation and sample code. If you're not going to do anything else, that's what you should probably focus on and see if you can invest it and in, invest in it in either resources or whatnot. And I think Gary's right though. It, and we got those answers. We get that information time after time, survey after survey, uh, study after study that, you know, documentation and sample code is the most important place, important aspect or feature of what we're servicing developers with. And then I think the other thing that we can add here is having a great learning experience. So learning is a big part of it. And Gary's completely right. This is an audience that developers are not the ones that you're just going to go and kind of flash things around and say, this is cool, come and try it. You, You really have to add value and a great learning experience does that. So if we do that, if we, if we're going to invest in anything, if you think about where you're going to start, if you have no other resources, that's where you should start. So that, that would be our recommendation. Yeah. Yes, and actually this has come up, you know, quite a few times in this in this podcast series, you know, yeah. when when talking to guests. Is and I'm I'm very happy that Gary made the distinction between, for example, consumer products and uh products that are addressed to a developer audience. It's the, the main thing is that developers are trying to solve a problem, you know, at this particular time and they wanna solve it quickly so they can move on, you know, to the big picture, to the thing they're trying to create. Which is a totally different thing than, you know, uh, buying, uh, as you said, uh, a pair of sneakers, which you have very different expectations. And honestly, you're not trying to solve a very difficult at that point uh, problem, especially from a technical point of view. You mentioned, and I think you, you both did, that, you know, developers are either allergic to marketing or they do not like, you know, companies showing them flashy things uh, to attract their attention. So what do developers need from marketers and versus, you know, what are they getting now? Yeah, I'm happy to jump on that one. And it, it's a really, there's a short answer and a longer answer. And I'll start with the short answer, which is I really, I don't think developers need anything from marketers, which is a bit of a weird thing for someone who's the managing director of a developer marketing firm to say. <laughs> and when I say that, the the longer version of that this answer is, is I think it's, there's there's two different approaches to this, right? And our job is to get clients to shift the way they think and the way they activate with developers and shift from a very traditional, like find me, sell me mindset 
to a know me, help me mentality, right? And that that is the weirdest thing about developer marketing is you're not marketing in this traditional sense. I keep coming back to this idea of beer, for instance. So you're not marketing in the way that a beer executive would. And I, I've done some work in that space in the past. When I was in grad school, I did some work for Miller Coors, which is a, a sub-premium beer brand here in the United States. And it's a really interesting category, right? Because all of those sub-premium beers in the States pretty much all taste the same. They're all pretty much the same. And they're not good. If you've never been here and you've never had any, I would recommend avoiding most of them. But that's a whole separate conversation. But when you look at the customer journey, it's very quick snap decisions. A customer goes into the store. They, what We did a lot of observation around this. They walk up to the fridge where all the beer is and they do a quick five to 10 second tea. They look up and down and then they look left to right and kind of scan this sea of all these beers that are exactly the same. And their selection comes down to weird little nuances and promotions. It comes down to color. It comes down to a snap decision around promotions, sponsorships, integrations, all of that. And tool set selections, developer marketing, it's the exact opposite, right? It's this lengthy process and you can't trick someone into making a snap decision about going into an ecosystem or making a tool set selection. So our role in developer marketing is, is simple. We're not here to trick people. We're here to make things easy. We're here to enable developers to do what they want to do with less friction. And we're here to elevate the resources that allow them to do and learn and accomplish the things they want to do. It's a very different mindset, especially for people who haven't been in this space. Yeah, I think enablement is the key word here. Yeah, I mean, I would still lean into what 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 we said earlier and, and during leaned into it as well. I mean, I'm not sure if everyone that's trying to engage developers is investing in learning material versus traditional marketing that they that we think they should. You know, taking your audience step by step, stage by stage to learning how to become better at what you offer or your platform or building something, that that's going to help. That's going to get them. That's going to satisfy them. I just don't know that everyone is doing that. I can't say that they are. I think there are some that are doing it really well. And I think some developer marketers are really engaging in that and really doing that very successfully. But I can't say that everyone is. So if I said what they need, what developers need from marketers, I would say just always focus on in engaging and learning and, and enablement, as noted earlier, and building the right tools or building the right resources that are just going to help them get using your tools faster. That's about it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's in the core, and that that should be it. And uh, I also want to point out, you know, how I like that Gary mentioned that you know developers do not need anything. And <laughs> Uh, this is also a very important uh, lesson for any marketer. I I'd say one of my favorite books, it's called, you know, Nobody Wants to Read Your Shit, which is all about how nobody really wants to, to read uh, what you're going to write uh, in the copy of your campaign, why you should, you know, push yourself to make it even relevant. And Moshula, you kind of mentioned about specific, you know, companies being very successful in it. Uh, and I want to mention, you know, that Convo was an esports and gaming focused go-to-market uh, strategy firm. Gary, now coming from esports and gaming, are there things you see that the game developer marketing space has possibly solved that other areas haven't yet? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And and for a, for a bit of context, anyone who might be listening, it gets confusing with the similar name. So Convoke was a, a small gaming and esports 
go-to-market strategy firm that I ran for a few years that was acquired by Ketchy. And that's what brought myself and Richard Herring, who's the original Ketchy founder, together in. And we're coming from that space, coming from from the game space. The, the big advantage that I think game developer marketing has is they they have the ability to make developer marketing sexy, right? That's the the kind of simplest line for it. When you look at the stories that like Unreal and Unity tell, the the assets they produce, they're cool. Like everything they put out is cool. It looks good. They have all these assets to tell, they have all these stories to tell. And the reason for this, and what I think one of the biggest challenges in developer marketing is is I worked with um, these two strategists in the past, Nolan Foster and Lene Cook, and they they both had this really interesting take, this one-liner that they would use about developers, which was developers are architects of the unseen world in that the work that developers do and the creativity and so much of what they do is unseen, but it's so important. And the nuance here is that game developers don't have that issue. Game developers are the architects of the most seen world's that on the planet, like gaming is the biggest entertainment industry. It's bigger than movies. It's bigger than anything else. It's bigger than concerts and music by revenue. And so game developers have this huge advantage of the work they do being so visible and so tangible. And that helps kind of give us something to aspire for, for the rest of developer marketing, which is how do we tell those same calibers of story, right? How do we bring the stories of what a developer that has something that is architected in the unseen world, how do we bring that to life? How do we draw that silver string between what's happening like deep in a tech stack to the real world impacts to aspire in imagination and creativity? Right. And that I think is always something to to aspire to is when you look at whatever developer marketing you're doing, whatever story you're trying to tell is how can I make that as cool as and, and interesting and as tangible as what game developer marketing is doing? And that I think is a great lesson that we can learn from that space. Yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely is. And I never really thought about it until now, you know, that yes, indeed, developer marketing for games is definitely the coolest one you can get out there. And you know, it shows. Kula, do you have anything you want to add? Yeah, I mean, these are things that our research also validates, that there are definitely game gaming platforms or organizations that do and are actually scored really, really well from developers in terms of everything they offered. The highest satisfaction scoring we're seeing is, is it happens to be in some cases game platforms. So that's just something that we can validate. So I think that that's really interesting and and definitely aligns with what Gary said. Yeah. And now moving a bit from, you know, things that go really well to things that, you know, might give you a bit of a trouble. What are your predictions on the challenges the industry will face this year? We're already in Q2, but still a long way to go. What do you see as, you know, the main challenges coming up? Oh boy. And you see in this question, you've, you've almost given me the opportunity to get on my soapbox a little bit and talk about <laughs> uh, th this concept that I've had kind of rattling around. And Richard, my business partner, and I have been talking about this a lot over the year. And it is in, in the result of the very high uptick that we're seeing in investment in Web3 and blockchain developer programs. Mm -hmm. And so we've come up with this concept that we're calling the decentralization of developers, which Mm. Long and short of it is that for the last 10 years, right in Web 2, the last 10 or 15 years, developer, the developer ecosystem and developer talent and developer marketing has mostly been centralized around big tech, right? We're familiar with the big players, the FANG companies, 
mm-hmm. some of the other big players. And then it's the hot Silicon Valley startups, right? And we have the, that's kind of been the landscape for the last little bit. And it's been predictable. But what we're seeing now is that with this last boom of crypto prices and cryptocurrency, all of a sudden these blockchain organizations that are very rapidly trying to change the world and change the way that we interface with technology, all of a sudden they went from these kind of small scrappy organizations to being very, very, very well funded. And what that means is that they can pull the best developer talent away from traditional big tech. So we're seeing this big shift in development talent and the developer ecosystem being centralized only around big tech to now going to these blockchain and web three companies and they have the money to get the developer talent there. So the, I think the challenge of this is, is a few things. One is that, that competition for talent and both on the developer side and also for people who are in DevRel and developer market marketing is going to heat up because you have so many organizations trying to very quickly build ecosystems, build platforms, build developer programs, and bring in the talent of people who can do that. But I think we're also going to see the innovation around that change. We're going to see a lot of shifts in what it means to have a developer marketing program, a DevRel program, and where and how you reach these developers. I think it's super cool. I firmly believe that competition and change is good for the industry and it's going to create a lot of innovation, but it is going to be a wild ride for sure over 2022 and the next couple of years as we see how this all plays out. Carrie, mm-hmm. as if we spoke about this earlier, I'm, I mean, I, I would definitely say staffing, hiring anyone that is a developer or around the developer space is that is a huge challenge and will continue to be. And I think it's growing. I also talked about, I also would talk about here a lot of the competition for developer attention. So I would, I know, Gary, you you, you mentioned you, you, you expanded a lot more, but I'll just go a little bit more simply and say, you know, are so many more organizations that are trying to gain engaged developers. I think a couple of years ago, we still would in- communicate with companies that were not convinced that developers were a core audience even. That is not the case now. Like a thousand percent, everyone is on board. Everyone is trying to engage developers in some way. And so we see that a huge acceleration of that drive to get developer attention in the last two years. And we're going to see that growing and it's a pain point this, uh, moving forward. That I'm, I think there's going to be a lot of improvements, uh, as noted by Gary. I actually would say I'm expecting a lot of free stuff, free training, free this everywhere in the space. Developers are going to be, you know, they're they're highly sought out, and but they're going to continue to be in a big way. So you're going to see a lot of really cool, and and I'm going to use a Gary's reference to innovations in engaging developers because the competition is definitely increasing. Yeah, and you know, apart from the the challenge of hiring, or you know, if you are part of, as you said, the traditional tech, uh, and you see your developers moving out to you know Web three companies to you know to change uh, the way we do things, what else uh, uh, do you see as you know the next trends or uh, hot topics coming up, or you know even what's what excites you more about what's coming? Yeah, so I think there's there's two sides of this for me. One is which I've kind of already referenced is is this impact of blockchain, Web three, metaverse, everything that kind of falls under that blanket term of Web three. And I think this year we're going to see a lot more 
information around that happens. I think in the last in the last two years, we saw a lot of the hype, right? And we've gotten to this point where you can't hear like the letters NFT without like someone wanting to throw up and roll their eyes. And I think we're going to finally see that space start to settle down a little bit and almost grow up, right? And start focusing on the use cases. So we have all these new technologies that are starting to intersect and come together in this really interesting way. So what is the actual use case there, right? What's the use case outside of NFTs? What's the use case outside of DeFi and cryptocurrency? And I think we're going to start seeing a lot more of that kind of growing up in tangible use cases there. I think on the complete other side of that, just speaking more generally around developer marketing and DevRel in general, is the some of this innovation that we talk about. I think we're going to see a very strong shift in what developer community is, uh, not only what it is, but also where they are. I think we're seeing the rise right now of Slack in the past couple of years. Now, Discord and Telegram, these more direct messaging platforms coming to life as a place where developer community and developer conversation is coming together, which is really interesting because it allows this really fast collaboration and interaction, which we know is huge, right? For developers, they don't want to wait around and file a support ticket or have to browse through all these pages of forms to find information. It's all about how quickly can I get past a roadblock? How quickly can I consume relevant information and have it brought to me immediately? And I think platforms like Discord are really changing the way that happens. I'm almost calling that the long tail where you can go into a place a Discord server for really broad information, but you can also go into a really specific Discord server for like a very specific type JavaScript development within uh, Ethereum blockchain, right? You could be in a Discord for that. So I think we're going to see this big shift in in blockchain and Web3 growing up a little bit, and then also this big shift in developer communities. Those are my two. I don't know, Mishula, I don't know what you have for this. Yeah, but honestly, I was going to lean into the community, 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 because I mean... What I said earlier about organizations that were not convinced a couple of years ago, like, you know, it, it was so fascinating. And, and we're not talking about small orgs. We're not talking about new organizations. We're talking about, you know, big old tech, you know, not convinced that developers are important. That is, you know, and, and we're seeing this is not the case anymore. So it, and even then, now they know they're too late. <laughs> they are late on it. So they're really ramping up. So I think, Community building and engaging developers to community is going to continue, of course. Those that have already built strong relationships within their developer community are all, all able to innovate in a different way and improve in the way they engage developers. But those that have not had a community model per se are really ramping it up very, very quickly really very quickly. They're trying to catch up to this. We published a community report just this year that was wildly popular. Again, in the community, in the, in the community reporting, the data that we saw, of course, the side of things that developers are looking for and looking for in a community. Again, they want the community to be knowledgeable. They want to get and learn within that community. We should understand that learning is key for engaging developers. And that's important as a basis for what you decide to do within your community. So I would lean into that and say that it's not necessarily new. I think some people, again, some organizations have done it and doing it well for a long time. But I think those that have not, you know, hit the or joined the bandwagon early enough are doing it now and they're doing it very quickly. So yeah, I'd lead into the community topic. Yeah, power to the people. 
Okay, I really hate that this episode has to end because I, I love hearing you guys uh, talk about these things and you're both very passionate and you have great energy. I know I definitely, you know, could spend hours listening to you, but if our listeners want to hear more from you, how can they reach you? For for me personally, if you want to hear random musings about whatever's on the top, but top of my mind and what's going on at Catchy, LinkedIn's probably the best place to find me. It's linkedin.com slash Gary X Gonzalez. And then if you're interested in keeping up with Catchy and everything going on over there, catchyagency.com is the best place to start. Perfect. Thank you. Muscula? Yeah, I think LinkedIn is a good uh, source, but actually um, just... Getting, I don't know, actually, Stephanie, this is, should I give my email? Because my name is very long and complicated. <laughs> Your name is very long, but I, I am name. That's not the easiest thing to describe. I'll add a link to both your profiles uh, in LinkedIn uh, in this episode description. So if you want to get in touch and have trouble spelling, you know, big Greek uh, names, you can find it in the description. And uh, to close on a positive note, what are you guys watching or reading right now and are excited about? Ooh, that's a good one. For me, I'm actually not a big TV watcher, and that's probably just because I have such a big background in gaming. So most of my screen time is gaming focused, and it's such a cop-out answer, but I've been playing so much Call of Duty Warzone recently. And the interesting thing, it's it's not even particularly that I am passionate about Call of Duty or love Call of Duty. In the pandemic era, it has ended up being the way that I stay really close and connected to so many of my friends that are around the country and around the world. As we've been traveling less and seeing less of people, I have a group of a pretty big group of friends where we just jump on and play a few times a week. And I, I keep up more with some friends now during the pandemic than before the pandemic even started, just because this game has brought us together and it's kind of ended up being our kind of way to connect over the weeks and months of quarantines going on and off and all of that. So Call of Duty has been my big extracurricular activity right now, for better or for worse. Well, mine is a lot more boring. So if we're going for what I'm reading, I'll tell you what, what you know, okay, in in the role, and of course, it's uh, still a bit early in the year, we did a revamp of OKR. So I had to, I wanted to go and do a serious refresher. So like Measure What Matters by John Doerr and Larry Page, I read that very recently. Radical Focus by Christina Wodkift, if that's her, the last name. Apologies if I'm pronouncing them badly. But these were the, the latest books I've I've kind of audibled and read and as well. So nothing, a lot more boring than, than the gaming. No, these suggestions are great because they're both work and play. So it's... <laughs> Thank you both uh, for joining me in this episode. Great, uh, Gary and Moskula, it was great talking to you. Thank you for having Thanks. us. I appreciate it. Yeah, this was my first podcast with uh, Stathy, so was, this was fun. <laughs> to do it again. Great. I'm happy you enjoyed it. And I think I really must say, because Gary mentioned beer so much time, <laughs> there should be a drink responsibly message at this point. To our listeners, thank you for listening to the DevRelX podcast, the podcast devoted to developer marketing and relations. You can listen to all episodes, find free resources, the latest news, and join our community at devrelx.com. And you can subscribe to our bite-sized bi-weekly digest or follow us on Twitter at slash data HQ. Thank you very much, both. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you for hosting. <laughs> Thanks for having us. It was fantastic. Mm-hmm.